Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Riccaro and we are keeping score, covering the $1.3 trillion business of sports, which may not be $1.3 trillion now, but it will be eventually once we recover, once the postponed events get their next set of revenues back, and once the canceled events make up money over time. It is not that simple. Deal-making is very specific. It's on the ground, and let's cover it three to one. First of all, number three. The lawyers, yeah, they're getting involved from Pennsylvania to California and everything in between. Local governments, state governments may be overstepping their bounds, according to some lawyers, forcing businesses and golf courses to close. The lawsuits rooted in the Fifth Amendment, the New York Times said, which requires due process and guarantees compensation for property seized by the government. In Pennsylvania, lawyers are saying the Disease Prevention Act, last amended in 1959, targets infected individuals, not referring to pandemics. And at San Joaquin Country Club in Fresno, California, members are petitioning the local government to open up, saying there's nothing in the governor's order that indicates private country clubs can't be used for golf purposes as long as social distancing is maintained and restaurant facilities are closed. Lawsuits during the lockdown require emergency injunctions or similar measures, likely an uphill battle to get courses reopened. That's number three. Number two, while it's far below the average annual economic impact for the iconic event, Wimbledon canceled and gets insurance refunds because of its longstanding pandemic insurance policy. The SARS outbreak in 2003 caused them to look at this even more. They're paying $2 million annually for pandemic insurance. Over 17 years, penciled out at $34 million. The insurance policy will pay reportedly uh, about $141 million. The revenue is $300 million, so they're not getting everything, but they are getting something. And some other events, like the 2020 Open Championship, also had pandemic insurance, obviously led to the tournament's decision to cancel rather than postpone. Pandemic policies, they're costly, likely cost even more after COVID-19, but more events and deep-pocketed sports leagues are going to do more to protect themselves in the future. You can be sure of that. And that's number two. Number one. Games or no games, baseball team valuations risen yet again, capping a decade of growth during which average team values increased four-fold, according to Forbes, from 2010 to 2019. The average NBA team up 476 percent, NHL 192, NFL 179, and the average MLB team 262 percent. At $5 billion, the Yankees remain the most valuable team in baseball and second only to the Dallas Cowboys, $5.5 billion across all sports. The Yankees, Nationals, and surprisingly, the Orioles led the pack, each posting a 9% increase in value from 2019. The Diamondbacks, Tigers, Indians, Athletics, and Royals kept their values the same, and only two, the Pirates and Marlins, saw their values decrease. Like all sports, baseball going to take a major hit during these unprecedented times. But thanks to a decade of growth and three major national media deals increasing up to 50% in 2022, baseball definitely roars back. 
Well, how about golf? Well, we've talked over the last couple of weeks about golf playing, golf equipment, golf tournaments. But what is the overall impact on the pandemic from the golf industry? The NGF, the National Golf Foundation, attempted to determine 44% of the courses opened for business. Ten states disallow play. Actually, now it's 13, from California to Massachusetts to Pennsylvania, all over the place. Some close dining areas, some close clubhouses, some close pro shops. 65% say the pandemic has had a significant or severe effect on their business. I'm not stealing thunder. I'm just giving added perspective to our interview this week. Joe Bettitz, who lives in South Florida, shared the interview with the local ESPN sports broadcast, Ken Lavica, the co-host that I have on the show. Joe Bettitz, a worldwide figure on the business of golf, golf, the numbers, the metrics, Important for all of us, basically almost as a public service, to hear Joe Bettitz. Here he is now. Joe Bettitz is probably the preeminent expert on the business and economics of golf on this planet and probably any other. We have the benefit of the National Golf Foundation as a local neighbor here in Jupiter, Florida, but Joe has authored many reports and is the go-to analyst for golf courses, public sectors, private sectors, and in this context, with the coronavirus uh, gripping us and hopefully turning around sometime this summer or fall. Nobody knows, but we can't think of somebody better to analyze the business of golf and where it's going than Joe Bettis. Hey, Joe, how are you? Good afternoon. Doing great. Thank you. Good. On behalf of both of us, welcome. And and the one thing that I want to start with asking is the whole world of golf from the participant angle uh, has ground to a halt. We now know that most states are now in a shelter in place. Most courses went from members only to stopping to play. People can carry their bags. Six-foot separation. Don't putt in the hole. And now many are just saying, well, let's stop. As it gets worse before it gets better, do we have an assessment of the industry and the impact of it and how long it takes to recover? Well, you know, the industry is a pretty complex operation. There are lots of different angles to it. So we have the golf course operations. We have the equipment manufacturers. We have the media side of the of the business, which you're, which, you know, you're in. I think I've already mentioned the turf side of the business. So there's there's different different aspects here, and they're all being affected slightly differently. So golf at the moment, I'll just start by by saying that we we haven't yet ground to a halt. Uh, last week we pulled. A thousand golf courses across the country randomly, so that we could project. And at that point, the ones that were still in season, the ones that were in states that were still seasonal, so eliminating the far north, still about seventy-four percent of those courses were open for play. Hmm. And and frankly, many of them, many of them were were actually quite busy. 
uh, private clubs even in play, 77% of them were open. Now, I'll tell you, we haven't published this yet, so everybody here is going to have to keep it to themselves. Um, but we just finished our poll this week. Those numbers have gone down a little, but not greatly. So we are still operating on quite a few golf courses. Uh, now, switching over to another sector, the retail sector. Now, the retail sector has really shut down. Um, not completely, but probably in the neighborhood of about 80%. All of the major national chains are closed, and probably about 75 to 80% of the independent and regional firms are closed. So that, of course, if the doors are closed at the retail stores, that affects the equipment manufacturers. So the manufacturers have nowhere to ship the equipment that they've got sitting in their warehouses because the retailers haven't been able to move it out into the consumers. So the retailers, or the OEMs, as we call them, the manufacturers, club companies, ball companies, they're being affected quite dramatically uh, and will be during this uh, during this second quarter when they would normally be expecting to ship quite a bit of equipment into the channels of distribution. So it's, it's all somewhat connected and interconnected, and I don't want to just uh, rant on and on, and I'll, 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 leave, I'll leave it at that and, and see what questions I've provoked. Uh, no, that's, uh, th- that's a great jumping-off point here as we talk with Joe Bennett. He's the president and CEO of National Golf Foundation, and there is some really fascinating research that has been done, and it's displayed in an extremely organized manner. It's going to be updated next week, but the National Golf Foundation website, it's thengfq.com, thengfq.com, and there is a portion of it that is specifically dedicated to COVID-19's impact on golf, and One thing that jumped out to me right away, Joe, was the question of what's the current impact on golf's top businesses? And 42% say significant, but only 23% say severe. And I'm sure that those numbers are going to change. You're going to see more of the red of severe as we move forward. But when we're talking about the top 100 businesses in golf, what are we discussing? In other words, who your question is, who are the, the top 100? Yeah, just, just an example of a, of a few of the top 100 businesses that would be a part sure. of that. So let's, let's think about the industry in sectors again. So one of the sectors would be the turf equipment and supplies. So there we'd be talking about Toro, John Deere, Rainbird, Syngenta, Bear, the chemical companies, et cetera. Those are the top companies some of the top companies in that space. If we move into the um, OEMs or the golf equipment companies, of course, we've got TaylorMade, Callaway, Titleist, you know, Ping. We've got those companies that are, are sitting there as top-tier companies and more. Besides that, by the way, I'm just mentioning a few to insult the others who are also our members. <laughs> um, in multi-course operators, you have Troon, Billy Casper, Kemper, those sorts of companies, Club, Car, uh, Club Corp., Etc. Easy go. Club car. When you think about it, this is about a $70 billion industry. There are quite a few very large companies operating in a bunch of different sectors. There are very, as you said, Joe, many, many diverse aspects of the business. And many people probably don't even know that uh, who are not golfers. But yet, one of the things that is important in this unprecedented time 
is the ability of an industry to recover. Uh, Is your sense that golf may be easier to come back? Now, not talking about golf, uh, top golf, or some of the other kind of close um, gathering place um, opportunities, but but rather, uh, and not even the retail, but just uh, when when people play, it's a lot easier to imagine being able to go out there the the food service can be delivered. The uh, idea of not being uh, scrunched together as spectator sports like you know, hockey, baseball, basketball, football. Uh, just the, the, the general notion is that golf might have the ability to be a bit more resilient after this is all over than other sports. Can, can, you, can you ponder that a bit? Well, I think that once tournament golf can start back up without fear, you know, of um, large crowds and, and in handling the, you know, any further reignition of the of the virus, you know, in any kind of a crowded situation, I certainly think that those tournaments can be turned back on fairly quickly. Golf itself, I suspect that there's going to be pent up demand in those markets where golf courses have been shut down, as you know, here in South Florida. You know, we have Palm Beach, uh, you know, Broward, Miami-Dade counties are essentially have shut down their golf courses. Well, you can still play in Martin County and, um, you know, St. Lucie and Indian River. In fact, even given the governor's order, I digress here a bit, yesterday to uh, shelter in place or stay close to home, um, Martin, St. Lu- uh, Martin and St. Lucie uh, and Indian River counties have uh, said a rule that, that golf courses will be able to remain open. And the golf courses there right now are quite busy attracting some of the folks from the south. So I guess what I'm saying is that there's going to be a pent-up demand from either temporary closures uh, caused by the coronavirus or there's going to be pent-up demand by seasonal closures, you know, in the northern states that, you know, perhaps in another month or two will just be coming back online and, and those folks will be itching to get outside. Joe Bennett's president and CEO of National Golf Foundation. We tend to see, depending on... Uh, the player and the storylines, especially of a major tournament, a potential spike in merchandise sales or uh, a surge to the courses uh, after a particularly memorable major. Now with the Masters being pushed back, uh, the U.S. Open being pushed back, we may not have an Open championship overseas. What does that do to golf at all levels from a business standpoint with everything either postponed or potentially, in the case of the Open Championship, wiped out altogether? Well, there's no doubt that these major championships are you know, highlights of the year. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're highlights of the year, and they stimulate demand and interest, viewership, and engagement. So... With those missing, I expect that that would have a, I uh, would expect that to have a, a, a kind of a diminishing effect on on demand. But as I mentioned a moment ago, I think there's going to be some pent up demand once we are able to open up our golf courses again. And all of this really rides on when that might occur. Whether that occurs in June or July or August makes I think I think will make a big difference. The. Um Tournament golf, as you said, at all levels, LPGA, uh, um, uh, every other event, even collegiate, collegiate's a little bit different. But 
it's so intertwined with participatory golf as well. And do we see an opportunity for television, televised golf to come back earlier than otherwise? Have you looked at the feasibility of what it might mean if you had golf come back without crowds at certain tournaments and then bring the crowds back later? I know a lot of other sports are taking a look at the feasibility of that. Though the NGF is not primarily mandated to do that, but do you have an opinion about whether that could be feasible? Well, I don't see why it would not be feasible. You know, if you can, you know, keep folks, you know, out of a, you know, baseball baseball stadiums. Um, I think you could keep them off off the golf course and bring it back. You know, bring it back early and without crowds. I think that would be possible. I'm not quite sure what the, where those deliberations are up in Ponte Vedra Beach, but um, I'm sure they're. I'm sure they and the networks are looking at that possibility uh, as people uh, become more and more starved for you know live tournament golf. Joe Bennett, he's the president and CEO of National Golf Foundation. I did get a kick out of, again, thengfq.com, thengfq.com. That's the National Golf Foundation website, and they have a, a page specifically dedicated to COVID-19 and its effect on the game of golf, and it goes a million different fascinating directions in terms of what's being analyzed and what's being displayed and broken down, and I got a kick out of uh, the portion where it talks about online search interest and in particular golf as compared to coronavirus online searches and the fourth most searches of golf related material in the United States came out of West Palm Beach and I am not surprised in any way shape or form at that number and to me Joe it just shows that yes uh, there are major concerns and we are as Rick said and uh, we've used this word a ton in an unprecedented situation but there's such a passion for golf here that you have to think once things even normalize to an extent this would be one of the first regions in the country where golf started to spike in a positive way first Yes, I'd agree with you. We're going to um, we'll see it we'll see it right here in 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 Florida whether whether it happens you know in uh, in in May June or July when uh, our our traditional off season is as you know a, a pretty much of an on season yeah. for local golfers. Yeah, and and I have one more question for you, and that'll be it for me. I just I'm trying to figure ways to improve my score, and over the last couple of weeks, I've been giving myself six-foot putts because of social distancing, because of the president's order. Would you authorize that officially from your lofty position as head of the National Golf Foundation? Listen, you've got complete official certification and authorization not only to do that, but if you'll stop after 16 holes, you're going to notice a dramatic lowering of your score immediately. Of course. Uh, Rack that one up, man. uh, There we go. That's all I need to hear. Unbelievable. Of course, Rick Harrow would exploit coronavirus to improve his handicap. Amazing. Didn't see that one coming from the sports professor. Uh, Joe, this is really, really fascinating stuff, and we'll look forward to uh, checking out thengfq.com. Again, that's the National Golf Foundation side and the new information and the new trends as we progress on through uh, some uncertain times here with coronavirus, but really, really fascinating insight, and anybody who loves numbers and analytics will absolutely adore this joe bennett's president ceo national golf foundation thanks for taking a couple of minutes with us 
Thank you, Joe, very Thank much. You, I'm going to go record my 68. Certainly, golf is significant for relaxation, for taking people's minds off things, as long as it's safe, like everything else during this unprecedented pandemic. The top five tech issues reduced to the Sports Tech Minute. A couple of issues really get our attention. BetMGM offered bracket competition for the NBA 2K players, the tournament. The uh, issue was recently drawn into a nonprofit. 16 NBA stars, Kevin Durant, Trey Young, the br- predicting the perfect bracket, BetMGM rewards users 20 grand. The company also matches each perfect bracket win with a 20,000 donation to the New Jersey Pandemic Relief Fund, the nonprofit recently established by Tammy Murphy, wife of the New Jersey governor. And the winner of the event chooses a charity receiving 100,000 from 2K, the NBA, and the Players Association. The fans got to see their favorite NBA stars back in action, depending on what you call action. And then Floyd Mayweather and Fubo TV partners deal uh, with a new opportunity for virtual boxing. Yahoo Finance says Facebook group Floyd Mayweather and One Entertainment Group announced a groundbreaking joint venture to create and manage the world-renowned retired professional boxing champion's digital likeness, Virtual Mayweather. TV streaming platform Fubo TV and pay-per-view partners will be announced. But while live sports are on hold, a shift to digital may match growing interest in esports due to forced stay-at-home orders during the pandemic and could lead to a quick success for the new Mayweather venture. Money, money, money. He has some. He'll get more. That's your Sports Tech Minute. Welcome into the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Hora. I'm Mitch Reams from the Esports Network. Sports networks are turning to esports to bring in some coverage in the absence of sports. ESPN2 aired 12 hours of esports last Sunday, including a unique NBA 2K tournament. While the actual NBA 2K League should be in the midst of its third season right now, the esports league had to be put on hold, even as most other esports are moving online. Instead, NBA 2K put on a players tournament. Featuring stars like Donovan Mitchell, Andre Drummond, and Trey Young, the tournament appeared to be a hit. People are absolutely desperate for sports, and NBA players playing virtual basketball is as close as fans can get right now. While it may not be the same as real basketball, as many of the players are vocal about during the tournament, at least NBA players can stay in the public spotlight through these types of competitions. Expect to see a lot more player tournaments as the lockdown continues in various video games. Now, back to Rick Hora. Finally, Power of Sport Minute couldn't happen at a better time. The NFL announced that the 2020 NFL Draft evolves into a three-day virtual fundraiser benefiting six charities chosen by the NFL Foundation that are delivering relief to millions in need. The Draftathon, according to multiple sources, will be featured across live draft coverage April 23 to 25 on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and the NFL Network and pays tribute to healthcare workers and first responders. Nonprofits in line to benefit the American Red Cross, Response Fund, COVID-19, Meals on Wheels, the Salvation Army, and United Way's COVID-19 Community Response and Recovery Fund. As we face this global health crisis together, we're filled with gratitude for helping those in need. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says in the draft-a-thon will deliver much-needed funding to many who are suffering as well as those on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
conducting this event virtually and taking all necessary precautions while doing so underscores the importance of staying home and staying strong during this unprecedented moment in our history, says Roger Goodell yet again. A great idea to take advantage of the draft, people staying home watching it, and raising more money. Kudos to the NFL. That's your Sports Power Minute. We'd like to thank Joe Bettis for giving us some significant perspective. We'd like to thank the industry for continuing to strive and thrive and certainly survive during this time. would like to thank you guys for watching and listening. Join us next week when once again we go beyond keeping score, covering all aspects of the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick. Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.